If y'all would, pray with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us away from temptation. Deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours forever and ever. Father, you are in heaven and your name is great. Your name is holy. It is set apart. And we want to be a part of you being known for who you truly are. We want what you want where you are to come and be here where we are, just like you said in your word. We want to see things bound up that are not permitted in heaven. And we want to see things loosed on earth that are permitted and desired in heaven. We want your specific will for each of our lives, for our communities, for our families, for our nation, for the world to be done here as it is where you are. We know that we do not live by natural things alone. And more and more every day we see that there are less and less natural things to depend on. We live by every word that you have to say to us. So give us ears to hear what you're saying. We thank you. It's not about a performance. It's not about impressing. It's not about informing you. It's not about persuading you. It's a partnership, God. And you alone made it possible for us to live and be in that partnership. Forgive us for every way that we fall short and teach us how to walk in the revelation of as we forgive others for the ways that they fall short. Lead us away from situations and temptations where we would fall again and deliver us from all the plans of the enemy who seeks to do us harm. Everything belongs to you, God. It's only by your ability. All the fame and the glory is yours. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. It's been a kind of an interesting message that the Lord gave me, and so I'm going to share a few things that God's kind of, I feel like my daughter was on Chop Junior, if you don't know that, and they go into the kitchen and they grab a couple of things and they give it a couple of things and they have to do something with it. And I kind of feel like that's what God's been doing for the last week. So I'm going to start by sharing a testimony from a lady named Pam. She's in a ministry that we're affiliated with, and she shared this a couple of weeks ago, and it ties in with everything that God's been doing. So this is her word. Something God showed me years ago and also in a dream last night is that I sometimes think negative because of past experiences. When we get to the place where we've had trouble believing for good or for a breakthrough because we have experienced bad for so long, we're guilty of evil foreboding. If you don't know what that word means, I'm going to stop and just pause right there and explain. Foreboding is a fearful apprehension. It's a feeling that something bad will happen with a sense. It's, it's implying or seeming to imply that something bad is going to happen. So Proverbs 15, 15 says, All the days of the desponding and the afflicted are made evil by anxious thoughts and foreboding. So when you forebode, it's a choice you make. You actually participate in your days being made evil. Because of my past negative experiences for so many years, I had a habit of thinking the worst or thinking things can't or won't change. To experience change for the good, I had to repent of a victim mindset and ask God to heal me. Then I was free to dare to believe God for something good. Something bad always happened to you is not normal. That should be a red flag. Satan doesn't want you to know this. Besides, God is not getting glorified with that kind of life. That is a victim mindset. God cannot get good to you if you have a victim mindset. Don't justify it. Don't defend it. The garbage has to come out to make room for the good. It is God's responsibility to change your heart 
but it is your responsibility to change your belief system. He will help you if you ask, but he can't do your part and you can't do his part. It's a partnership. If you have a problem with evil foreboding, I dare you for the next 30 days to speak out loud the opposite of the negative thought you have. When you speak it out, do it with emotion and start visualizing a change. Get fed up with the victim mindset and ask God for a victor's mindset. I guarantee there will be a change in your circumstances. I would love to hear your breakthrough story experiences by trying this. You're an overcomer. That ministered to me because I was struggling with a little bit of foreboding and, and anger this last week. And before I go there, I want to share one other thing. This, this was an ingredient that God gave me. I'm not going to sing this lyric for you because I don't want it to get stuck in your head, but I'm going to share the words with some bad doctrine that gets sung in the unbelieving world. So I'm not criticizing the church. But you probably know this. It was, it's from the 50s or 60s, and it got re-released by another band, Pearl Jam, a few years later, a few years ago. But um, tell me, be very, uh, pay attention and see if you can pick out how many pieces of bad doctrine are included in this one chorus. Well, where, oh, where can my baby be? The Lord took her away from me. She's gone to heaven, so I got to be good, so I can see my baby when I leave this world. There's at least three bad doctrinal statements in there. First off, he's singing probably what he heard quoted from the Bible that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. God didn't say that. Job said that. So he's accusing God of taking away the love of his life. He's automatically assuming she's gone to heaven because that's where everybody goes when you leave this place. And the only way to get there is to be good so that he can see her when he leaves this world. Now, maybe he's associating there is another place in there, but whether you go to heaven or not will not be based on your works. It's based on the work that he did. And we, when we sing things like that, I used to love that song. I used to get wrapped up in the emotion when I first heard it as a kid. I thought, oh, it's so sweet and melancholy and dramatic. And, and it's really trash, but it really is <laughs> what a lot of people endorse and, and believe. So last Saturday was an interesting day for me. I took my daughter to ice skating. And I'm in the ice skating rink where our church originally met years ago. And as she's skating and I'm looking up and I'm just like, wow, what a paradigm shift. 25 years ago, while we were up there on Sunday. And now my daughter's down here ice skating. And she had just gotten promoted from her one class to the next class. And she's been moving up really quickly. And, and I, was, I was pondering how... Watching them grow. My one daughter plays piano and she takes voice lessons from Miss Brittany, Mark's better half. <laughs> and my other daughter takes ice skating lessons. And it's been fascinating to watch them grow. Their lessons are short. You would think, how could they really be getting any kind of teaching? But they're short lessons frequently given and frequently received and paid attention to. And their growth has been very, very accelerated. And I was, I was thinking about how, wow, that's... That, and my mom was there, too. She happened to come that day. She loves ice skating. So we were sitting there having this moment, and we're, we're pondering these things. And in the backdrop, we're also pondering what's going on in Israel because the terrorist attack had just started that night. And it was a very surreal experience. We're sitting here having fun. We're enjoying our family, and we're enjoying our freedom. And we're also, I'm also aware that there are people that have just lost their loved ones, and they're never going to see them again. And their whole world has been turned upside down. And there's no telling if and when any normalcy will be returned to that land before Jesus returns to on his throne. 
And so that started to affect me. And by Wednesday, I had had a lot of it. I was carrying a lot of anger. Like, I was carrying and carrying instead of just carrying. I think that was from your message, Sabata. I think you said something like that. We don't need to carry things for the Lord. We care, but we don't carry. That was Saturday. Then Sunday afternoon, we have a youth group that meets at our house a couple times a month right now. And we're, talk, we're going through a series on relationships and dating. And we're talking with them about how to date in a way that honors God. And we're asking them, what's the point? And these are the three big ideas that we share with them. That loving God is the most important thing you can do. But loving God is connected with loving people, including people that you will date. What's the difference? We, ask, we challenge them to think about and to consider what's the difference between going on dates dating someone exclusively, and the purpose of dating. And there's four scriptures that we've, we've kind of been using as our foundation. I'm going to go over those with you real briefly. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14 says, For you formed my innermost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will give thanks and praise to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. We tell the kids, God made you on purpose for a purpose, and he knows who you are because he made you. Genesis 2, 18. Now the Lord God said, it is not good or beneficial for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper, one who balances him, a counterpart who is suitable and complementary for him. I don't have the ability to go into that right now, but that used to have the biggest negative connotation for women, for the longest time, that women were the helpers of the men, and it was just this. It is, when you dig into the Hebrew, it's actually a fascinating compliment that women are the only suitable partners for men, and they were created unique and special, and they can do what we can't do and vice versa, and it's a beautiful picture of who God is and why he made us that way. And then the third verse that we talk about is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 and 24. All things are lawful. That means, I'm reading from the Amplified, morally legitimate or permissible, but not all things are beneficial or advantageous. All things are lawful, but not all things are constructive to character and edifying to spiritual life. Let no one seek only his good, but also that of the other person. So we're talking about these big ideas. When you think about dating, talking to young people, I know everybody else in here is an expert, so. <laughs> you don't just go into it for a selfish purpose. You need to be thinking about what are the other person's good and not just your own. And then we ask them, where does this all, what is the, again, what is the point of dating? Where is all this leading? And the question, that question is answered in Ephesians 5, 31 through 32. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined and be faithfully devoted to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Here's, here's the punchline. This mystery of two becoming one is great, but I am speaking with reference to the relationship of Christ and the church. So God created marriage, and there's, there's natural reasons, there's psychological, there's all kinds of benefits that we can assess and, and define in the natural realm. But there's a bigger picture going on that God created marriage to put, give a physical representation of what he wanted with us spiritually. 
The problem is we see a lot of bad examples of what that physical relationship looks like, and it reflects poorly on what his, his original intentions were. So last Wednesday, I'm carrying a lot of stuff that I shouldn't be, and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling angry and frustrated, and I'm feeling helpless. I'm feeling unworthy. I'm feeling I'm living in this land of freedom and in incredible abundance, and there's all this hell going on on the other side of the planet. And what can I do? I mean, if I even, what can I do other than pray? And I hate little silly, you know, oh, just pray. Like, but re- that's really what I could do. And by the way, the, the title of this message is Jesus is All You Need. And the reason why I say that is sometimes I get annoyed with really simple declarations like that because it feels trite. It just feels empty. But Jesus is the embodiment, the physical expression of everything that God ever wanted. And when you build and come into that relationship with him, he begins to heal, forgive, restore, renew, deliver, impart, explain so many things that we don't have enough words for. But on that same day that I'm feeling angry and I'm thankful to my wife and my kids because they prayed over me and it was, a, um, it was a powerful time. I didn't feel like I deserved it. That same day I got a text from a gentleman who, when I first met him, he was talking about his belief in a context of faith in God. But he sends me this text and says, therefore, by the grace of blank, go I. Now, if you've heard that before, you probably would have expected and thought he would say, therefore, by the grace of God, go I. But he didn't. He put the word universe in there. And he capitalized it. And when you capitalize something, that means you're elevating and honoring something. It was really gross. It grieved me. So that, together with all this other stuff, really had a hold on me. And see, if you, if you look at Genesis 1.26, one of my favorite verses, I believe it helps begin to put some of this in context. Then God said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make man in our image according to our likeness, not physical, but a spiritual personality and moral likeness, and let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and over the entire earth, and over everything that creeps and crawls on the earth. Now, if you've heard me teach this before, I always ask, what is the one thing that's missing that we were not given dominion over? Each other. We were not created to dominate one another. That's why no one likes to be blackmailed or blackballed or micromanaged or intimidated because we were not created to be dominated. We were created to dominate, and we were created to love one another. And when you look at all the problems that are going on in the world, they're nearly all an expression of that original mandate misapplied. When somebody controls someone else through manipulation, they're misapplying what they were originally intended to do. I do not fault. I'm not saying, and this is very dangerous because things are recorded, so please don't take this out of context. I am not saying that in any way they deserved or justified what happened over there. But I believe and I'm, that Satan used this principle against the people that perpetrated the attacks and caused them to believe that somehow they were doing God's will. Because when they went to that rave, I don't know if you know, but the people of God, God's established people, had a stainless steel Buddha 
in the middle of the desert that they were dancing underneath. To the other religion, that looks like blasphemy. That looks like heresy. That looks like a violation. And if you believe the lie that it's your job to impose judgment on other people, you can justify just about anything that you want to do. And so, and, and, and then as, we, as, as the news reports have been coming out and, and hearing people saying, oh, that's not really happening, that's government propaganda. And how do you even begin to have a conversation? We live in the most advanced age of all humanity, technologically-wise. We have more technology, more ability to communicate, and yet we are less connected, and we are more confused, and we are less clear than we've ever been in all of humanity's history. And so the next little event in my journey for this message was yesterday. How many of you experienced something in the heavens yesterday? Did anybody stop to consider what was really going on other than the natural phenomena? No, it's, it, it's, a nat- it's just a natural. I guarantee you, if you had the time to study it from an astrophysics standpoint, for that to happen has to be lined up so precisely. There's so much artwork in God's creation. I'm talking about the eclipse, by the way. Sorry. So if you'll t- look at Genesis 1.14, it says, Then God said, Let there be light bearers, the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be useful for signs, tokens of God's provident care, and for marking seasons, days, and years. See, even though the world doesn't recognize it, God is, his artwork is declaring, I am who I am. I am good. I am God. I am holy. My name is hallowed. And even if you don't know me, I will not be denied or ignored. And even in the midst of that, there are still some who will elevate his creation above him and worship the thing that he created and give all the honor, glory, and credit that's due to him to the thing that he created. We, so the interesting thing was when the, when, the, when the eclipse was going off, I remembered I had something in my garage. This is one of my grandfather's welding glass lenses. The funny thing about this is I was trying to look at the sun through my phone through the edge of the roof because it was so bright. And then all of a sudden I remembered I've got these glasses. Well, these actually went to a hood that I threw away years ago because I thought it was broken because I didn't know what it did. And I didn't have anybody in my life that could answer the question for me. Because when I would look through the glass, it was completely dark. Like it, it was even darker than this lens right here. And, but having this, this glass enabled me to see the eclipse through my camera. I still didn't use my eyes. And I was able to observe a glimpse of what God was doing. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 speaks of a similar phenomena. For now, in this time of imperfection, we see in a mirror, dimly, a blurred reflection, a riddle, an enigma, a mystery. But then, when the time of perfection comes, we will see really face to face. Now we know in part, just in fragments, but then we will know fully, just as we have been fully known by God. So, again, God's creation is on display. We are limited in our ability to understand and comprehend. And... 
All the while, the other thing that's interesting about the, the eclipse, that was a solar eclipse. There's two types of eclipses, lunar eclipse and a solar eclipse. And in Judaism, in Jewish thought, the sun speaks of and refers to those without a covenant with God, non-Jews, sometimes referred to as Gentiles. Big Bible word there if you don't know. And things to do with the moon are often words, messages to the Jewish people. The Jewish calendar is lunar. Western civilization uses a solar calendar. So there's two different worlds on this world operating at the same time. And it often means it can, an eclipse can be a sign of foreboding, that there's something, there's a warning. But at a minimum, I believe it's God saying, I'm here, pay attention. The clock is ticking. You're not just an evolved experiment on the earth. We are going somewhere. You are going to stand before me one day. You'll either stand before me judged or stand before me forgiven. But your life has meaning. Your days have meaning. Your time has meaning. Redeem your time. Don't take it for granted. It's not an accident. It's not for naught. How interesting that while that eclipse is going on, Israel is under attack. I'm not saying that that eclipse was, first of all, the eclipse happened after it happened. I believe part of what God is saying is, Israel is my territory. I put my finger, my stamp on Jerusalem. And like John said, whenever God says something's his, Satan hates it. That's the simplest answer to understand why does the world hate Israel? Because God said it's mine and it'll never be lost again. And all the while, God's, so we, we've, got, we've got these pictures of, of the heavens, okay? God's artwork. We've got a picture of what he wants with us spiritually through the picture of husband and wife. We've got a picture of who he is sovereignly because one of the things that I love about Israel, it proves that God is real. Only God could know that a nation would be reborn 2,000 years later. It's the only nation that's ever been reborn, and it will never be lost again. It's a prophetic symbol that God is who he says he is. It's not that God loves one group of people and he hates the other. When we don't understand something, we misuse it. We abuse it. Abuse is a combination of abnormal use. And when we do that, we experience pain and destruction. And so when we experience pain and destruction, that's a clue that oftentimes we don't understand something or we misunderstand something. One of the things that we share with the youth and that's talk about relationships is God didn't give you a desire for a relationship to tease you or to torment you, to get your hopes up, to mislead you. The reason why we even have the desires that we have is because we were created in a unique way and we were created for relationship and fellowship. And so the fact that those things are there and they're not all, the fruit is as wide as the spectrum is, is of all humanity. You see good, some good relationships, you see some bad relationships. The fruit is not an indication of the creator. The fruit is an indication of how the creation has been being used. So God doesn't give and take away, like that song. He doesn't play games with our hearts. He didn't give us a desire for relationship to tease us. He didn't create the universe so that we would worship it. He loves us, but he doesn't control us. And we were created to have dominion, like it says in Genesis. But when we rejected him, we lost ourselves. We became broken shadows. We lost him. Shattered partial images of who we were originally created to be. 
He put a plan in place to restore, reconnect, redeem, rescue us from ourselves, our sin, which is our separation, and our adversary. That first plan that he put in place was with the nation of Israel. So that was the first covenant. And then he came to bring an even better covenant. But the first covenant, the reason why the Jewish people matter and Israel matters is because that was for part of God's total redemption plan for all of mankind. Wrong ideas and wrong instruction will lead to wrong results. The question is, what will we rehearse? That's why it's important to think about the songs we, we sing, the, the words that we say. How many times when you go into a situation do people make little colloquialisms like, oh, knock on wood, or, oh, you know, it's just another Monday, or, you know, I'm just getting through it. And there's all kinds of things that we're speaking and we're rehearsing that don't honor and hallow his name. They're diminishing who he is and the role that he created. Just like Israel, we are created to be on display for him wherever we go. We're to be a picture. Israel is a... We're to be a picture of him just like Israel is a picture of him. We're to be a picture of him just like marriage between a husband and wife is a picture of him. We're to be a picture of him just like the stars are a picture of him. He can't do our part for us, and we can't do his part. It's a relational partnership, a relationship. It's not about us, but it's not without us. It's not without us, and it's not about us. Say it both ways several times and think about it because it's a deep thought. It involves us because he gave us the freedom to reject him. And it's only in having the freedom to reject do we have the freedom to submit. And it's only when we submit that we have authority. And it's only when we have authority that we can represent him with integrity. Because otherwise, we would be robots. And it would not be about us loving him out of our own free will. It would be us being controlled by a superior power. That doesn't bring him glory. What brings him glory is when we, who have the freedom to walk away from him, say, no, I'm going to press in to you. When Court was saying that about pressing in, I, the thought came to me, oil comes from pressing. When we press in, we're pressing out our oil to give to him. And it, it takes it takes intentionality. It takes effort. It takes, like my daughters or anybody who's studied or become anything, you have to apply yourself. You have to submit to lessons. You have to learn. You have to be willing to be taught. When we do, though, we can grow and we can accelerate our growth by practicing frequently, speaking intently the truth, what he says, not what fallen reasoning, not what our fallen world says is true. I'm going to close with one thing, one more thing. And this is another testimony from a man who was like Howard Partridge. He was in an organization that did similar things. And when he came to know the Lord, at this time, and I'm thinking it was about 20 or 30 years ago, but it was really looked down upon what he was doing. There was a reason, because some of the things were misapplied. And, and just like creation was worshipped instead of the creator, sometimes the, the world has picked up on that there's truths in God's word that apply whether or not you're a believer. Just like gravity works for everybody. The rain falls on everybody. You don't have to be a Christian to qualify. But I want to read you what he said, and I, I think it, uh, it ties in, it's fitting with all these different things. So the reaction of a, this is him saying the reaction to his story where he was when he became a believer. The reaction of a broad spectrum of the Christian community has been to condemn these principles as tools of the devil 
And because of this, many believers today live pathetic, defeated lives that not only glorify, not only don't glorify God, but actually serve by example to turn seekers away from him. Just like failed marriages turn young people away from the thought of getting married. The rejection of this portion of God's word arises largely out of the average believer's ignorance of the Bible, not knowing what it really says. And that's partially because of the quality and the lack of teaching that many receive. Not being familiar with the whole counsel of God, they assume that his principles for abundant living were actually developed by the world, humanists, even pagans. And they teach that they were created by them to lure them away from God. So they wrongly conclude that his promise from John 10.10, I have come so that you may have life and have it abundantly, only refers to the future. And that's one of the things that religion does. It tells you that everything that God has is good, but it's really for the future. But let's take a look at God's creation for the lesson it teaches. In all of creation, every living thing, whether plant or animal, naturally strives to achieve its maximum potential. You can't find a tree that only grows to half its normal height and then quits, or a cow that only gives a portion of the milk that it could produce. There's no lazy lions or salmon or even petunias. Every creature that God has created is predisposed to achieve its destiny and to fight with every ounce of its strength to do so. No one looks at a tree growing out of a crack in the rock high above the desert and calls it the devil's work, but many extol it as a miracle of God's creation." Only mankind has been given the choice to settle for less than our creator intended for us to be. And only man is taught to do this in order to avoid offending God. But what has God shown us? Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, was made one of the world's richest men in his day for agreeing to follow God. In revealing himself to mankind, God chose Israel to show forth the blessing that came from being in a covenant relationship with him. And in the time of David and Solomon, Israel was the richest, most powerful nation on earth. Even today, a disproportionate share of the world's intellectual and financial wealth is enjoyed by people God chose as his own. When America called itself Christian and subscribed to what's been labeled the Protestant work ethic, we were blessed above all nations in history, accomplishing things that no other nation on earth could handle. And our Yankee ingenuity was thought to be equal to any challenge. Our country was richer, our standard of living was higher, and our kids brighter than any others. Slowly but steadily, we've taken him out of the equation that made our society great. And as we did, we abandoned his principles as well. Many now look to the government as the source of blessings, while others look only to themselves. So the enemy has counterfeited biblical principles and is making them work to his glory, while those of us who follow the Lord have yet to realize that by following these same principles will manifest blessings beyond our wildest imagination and glorify the true author of all our success. So in closing, I want to share, I'm going to leave you with some scriptures that you can start practicing saying. But this is the word of the Lord. Delight yourselves in me, and I'll give you the desires of your heart. Psalms 37.4 Study my word day and night and quote it often. Do everything it tells you, and you will be prosperous and successful. Joshua 1.8-9 Trust in me and stop trying to figure it out on your own. Give me the credit, and I'll keep you on the straight and narrow. Honor me with your wealth, and your bank account will be filled to overflowing. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, 9 and 10 Give me the tenth that's mine. And I'll throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you won't be able to stand it. Malachi 3, 9 and 10. 
Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Luke 6.38. Change your attitude. Ephesians 4.23. Practice positive thinking. Philippians 4.8-9. Discover the power of personal goals. Philippians 3.13-14. The power of visualization. That's not new age. That's seeing what God has created you to see. 2 Corinthians 4.17-18. And affirmation or self-talk. Just simply saying what God says is true. Philippians 4.4-13. and 13. Rejoice in me always, be fearful of nothing, pray about everything, and be thankful for anything, and I'll give you peace that transcends human understanding. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. That's a verse that we need in this day and age. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. 2 Corinthians 9, 11. And when you are, remember who it was that gave you the ability to attain wealth. Deuteronomy 8, 18. That is your destiny. Achieve it, and you'll bring the greatest honor imaginable. To the one who made it so. If you don't have peace. If you don't have healing. If you don't have joy. If you don't have life. If you don't have all these wonderful things. It's available today. Like Sabata was saying during his word. God is here today. God is not a God of the future only. He's, a, he's the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And... When we take our place as his anointed creation, we can reign with him in every area of life. But we're the ones that have to make the choice to open our mouth. It says we believe with the heart, but we confess with the mouth that Jesus is Lord and we are saved. Stand with me and let's... Father, we thank you. Thank you so much for your word, for your goodness, for everything that you have for us. We won't go to heaven because of our good works, and we won't go to hell because of our bad works. Where we spend eternity will depend on our relationship with you, Jesus. So, Father, if there's anyone that has not made peace with you through your son, let them know right now. And let them be bold enough to ask and to receive what you have. How we will spend eternity depends on our relationship with Jesus. He really is all that we need. Jesus, you are all that we need. You're our peace, our hope, our healing. Everything that we need is found in you and a relationship with you. We want to learn the lessons that you have to teach us, Lord. You are sovereign, you are creator, you are father and friend. We ask that whatever you are saying to us individually today would resonate and be planted in our hearts and minds and that we would not be able to forget it. And Father, as we close, we lift up Israel to you. We lift up everyone in that region who is suffering. Father, we ask for angels to be released to thwart the powers of darkness. We ask that every attack of the enemy would fall short, that computers would fail, that tires would go flat, that missiles would diffuse in air, that bullets would just not even fire. God, that pipes would break, that would cause floods or distractions, anything, God, that disrupts the plans of the enemy. And conversely, God, we ask for your protection and your wisdom on all those who are seeking to do what is right. Father, that you would protect, that you would, Lord, we believe that it's still possible for people to be, hostages to be alive. God, protect the hostages that are alive. Lord, protect the families. Lord, bring about your glory and your honor. The only 
true solution to the world and to that region and to every other problem, Lord, is you, Jesus. We are so looking forward to you being on your throne on this earth. But in the meantime, God, we stand with the kingdom of God and our brothers and sisters all over the earth, and we ask, Father, for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're not saying or chanting a prayer, God. We're asking and we're requesting and desiring and we're purposing to press into you to hear what you're saying to us so that we can agree with you and respond back and we can partner with you even though we are geographically separated by thousands of miles. We love you, Lord. We love your word. We love your people, Jews and Gentiles, God. Anyone who calls on your name. And we, Father, we're looking forward to all that you're going to do One day soon, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and everyone will know you for who you truly are. While we walk through these days and wait for that time, Lord, help us to steward your glory, your authority, your presence to not quench or grieve you in any way, but to carry you into every area of life and to represent you. In Jesus' name, amen.